Well, good morning, Rick. I uh, I admit to being a little sleepy this morning. Last night was the night where we had thunderstorms from about 1 a.m. till 5 a.m. I'm not sure how much quality sleep I got. I slept um, right through it all. Seriously? I didn't even know. Wow, I'm impressed. I was I slept right through it, got okay. up, had a three-mile walk this morning. Uh, so I'm feeling good. Right. I'll well, carry the show today's fan. Apparently, I got it. <laughs> I'm relieved to hear that because I'm not sure what might come out of my mouth. <laughs> Well, but I a, never know what's coming out of my mouth. Either. I was setting myself up for a great pun about, you know, it's time for Jesus to tell me to wake up. Oh, you know, I, I missed that. I missed that. I guess I apologize. That's Swing right. and a miss. Anyone who's uh, who's not tracking with me. And again, I uh, I take no responsibility for the coherence of my thought right now. But but uh, this is the church that we're studying in our series on Dear Church, the mm-hmm. letters to the churches in Revelation, where Jesus's message to this church is wake up. Yeah. Wake up. You are dead. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk with you a little bit about this church and about okay. your message this past weekend, and, and hopefully by the end of it, my coffee will kick in and I'll be awake. And hopefully I won't I won't miss any cues or setups that you give me. <laughs> That's well, let's right. dive in. Absolutely. So we get to talk about Sardis today, the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the only church, as you pointed out, that wasn't experiencing any persecution. At least none is mentioned. The irrelevant yeah. church, so yeah. to speak. They're just there. Uh, they're not getting any any attention, positive or negative. They're just unnoticeable, irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think it was that was going on in this church that made them irrelevant? That made them well. I don't think they always were. Um, as, as I'm reading, as I'm reading the text, they had a reputation for a reason, and the reason that they had a good reputation, I don't think isn't. I, I don't think can be reduced simply because they were in a well-known city. That doesn't that doesn't that that doesn't jive with me. That doesn't seem to follow. That seems like a non sequitur. They had a reputation because there was something that they were known for in the past, and it, Jesus says that their deeds were unfinished. So clearly, they were doing something. There's a reason that people thought highly of them. There's a reason that they thought highly of them of themselves, and um, clearly, their view of themselves was misplaced and too high. Uh, but it was probably rooted in something really beautiful, really great in the past. And I've seen this before. I've seen this. I, I talked about it in, in, in the messages this weekend. You can see it in companies. You can see it in individuals. You can even see it in churches. And people just kind of look back on the glory days, and they get fixated on that, and they forget what they're supposed to be doing now. Um, and I think I think that's what was going on in the church. It's possible. It's very possible um, that this second generation or the third generation of believers in uh, the churches in this city, they received church routines, ministry routines, and practices, but they didn't receive the faith from mm-hmm. the people who mm-hmm. they came after. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking about a time I heard a pastor say, um, "You know, don't just raise your kids in church; raise them in Christ." Mm, it's good. possible that these folks kind of grew up in church, but not in Christ. So what leads to that? You know, I'm, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but they it's two things. They lose sight of Jesus, mm-hmm. and then they lose sight of their mission. Mm-hmm. It starts with losing sight of Jesus. And instead of looking up, 
they start you just start looking in you get you get selfish and i'm say spend five minutes with people <laughs> you'll see we're all we're all this is all of us mm. it's not like the bad people it's all of us we just have this um lifelong gravitational pull to care about what we care about to 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 be self-centered and it looks differently uh for for different people but if we are not careful we will we will become about ourselves Mm -hmm. and i think this church became about themselves Mm. and they died so yeah jesus warned them that they are dying they're becoming like a people of you, you are dead. Death. You have stuff that's dying. Mm-hmm. And you have a handful of people who are with me. Mm-hmm. I did appreciate that you brought out the uh, the, the theological definition of death. Because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a literal biological death. No. And we see that mm-hmm. all throughout Scripture, you know, even from the very first pages of the Bible, when mm-hmm. Adam and Eve are warned that's right. that uh, you know, on the day that they might eat of the fruit of the garden, they would surely die. They didn't literally biologically die. No. But that they were spiritually cut off. That's right. So the process began bi- biologically, but whether it's literal or metaf- metaphorical, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, death always leads to being cut off. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the tragedy here. And this is a church that was cut off from Jesus. Mm-hmm. They were unregenerate, unsaved, not born again, not with Jesus in any way. Mm-hmm. So Jesus gives them this this call to wake up yeah. to to emerge from this spiritual death that mm-hmm. they were living and and that gave you a little bit of an opportunity for some punchy language to yeah. to talk about yeah. being woke and yes. how Jesus has been using this language long before it became kind of a, a buzzword yeah, in said, our culture today. He said wake up and and woke is woke is a colloquialism that's used in in our language and 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 on our culture. And all kinds of things can get attached to it. And you might you might automatically jump to one kind of political movement or social movement or whatever. And you just need to know that whatever you might attach it to, that word is much older and much bigger than just that that thing. But it's essentially this. It is to be aware of what's wrong and aligned with what's right. Mm-hmm. And people might disagree about what the definition of wrong is. And people might disagree about what the definition of right is. But essentially, that's what that word is about. And woke is just a punchier, more fun way to say that I am awake. My eyes are opened. Mm-hmm. And that is what Jesus wanted this church to open your eyes see what is wrong mm-hmm. and come to me repent so help us a little bit um, i don't think anyone would ever claim that they don't want their eyes to be opened i mm-hmm. mean maybe there are some people who who might feel like it's just easier just to, to close your eyes off to everything and mm-hmm. and not deal with the, mm-hmm. the mess around us, but but I think most of us do want to be aware mm-hmm. and uh, and open to the the problems and the needs and and to apply a gospel context to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can be difficult when there are so many competing voices sure. saying, you know, this is what you should be focused on, and 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 something else from another person. How do you how do you sort that through? Well, let me say to anybody who, like, if you ever grieve. Let's just talk about some things. If you grieve that the word evangelical has been hijacked for political and social purposes, it doesn't mean what it how it was originally used. Mm-hmm. It was really a, an emphasis on Christ, an emphasis on the need of conversion, an emphasis on the need to share that uh, with, with, with others. But it's now associated with... Um, Republicanism or 
white supremacy or other things that just grieves you to be like, how did this ever happen, Mm -hmm. right? If that bothers you, well then also allow, remember, okay, in the same way that this word that you beloved has been hijacked and misused by by other groups, the same thing happens to a word like woke. Mm. Um, If you ever look at a rainbow flag and you're like, you know, it just grieves me that this symbol of a promise of God is now almost exclusively associated with a with um, with the LGBTQ community and agenda. Well, then you see how things can. Um, there's nothing wrong with that symbol, or there's nothing wrong with a particular word, but it becomes um, associated with with something else, right? Mm-hmm. Totally get that. It's okay. It's okay to grieve that. My point wasn't to go around and describe yourself as woke, although I don't, it doesn't bother me if somebody calls me woke. I mean, people call me all kinds of things. <laughs> um, my point was don't be afraid of it, mm. don't fight it, embrace it, and leverage it. And so, and the whole point was have conversations with people. Um, have, have conversations with, if somebody uses that word, um, and people say, hey, you know what? I tell me more and then be a great listener. Mm. Don't don't build a wall. So it reminds me of mm-hmm. uh, of how the term Protestant was originally yeah. a, a pejorative term yeah. thrown at, at people. What's and the root word? To protest. To protest. Yeah. You're just a bunch of protesters. Yeah. Yeah. And instead the the reformers took that word and mm-hmm. redeemed it and, and just claimed it and said, yeah, okay, yeah. so these are the things that we are protesting. So here's a framework that I learned from, there, there are different variations on it, but I recently learned this anew uh, from Walter Kim, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. Last month, I got to um, sit down with uh, with a number of pastors up in the cities, and Walter Kim was the was the primary speaker, and, and he talked about this is what we do when we engage things in culture. There are some things we just have to reject. Then there are some things that we can just receive, and then there are other things that we can redeem, and some things we can reimagine. Mm. And without using that, without talking about that framework specifically, I'm asking people to redeem it and reimagine it. Um, remember Jesus is long before anybody else, Jesus was using this kind of word. So there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no reason to fight. There's no reason to be afraid. Use it as an open door to connect with someone. Mm -hmm. Isn't that, isn't that better? Absolutely. So you you talked in this message about the unexpected message Mm -hmm. from Jesus this week. And I've just parenthetically, I've really enjoyed the unexpected messages each week. Uh, they've been a, a great way to help me remember the nuances of each okay. of these different passages. So Good. thank I'm you for those. I'm glad it's helpful. Uh, but this one was that it's possible for everyone but Jesus to think that a church is alive and well. Yeah. What a scary thought mm-hmm. that uh, that a church could be thinking well of themselves and thinking, oh, we've got so many things that are just humming along here, and yet that's not what Jesus would think of that. No, because we hang our hats on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that should be a great warning call yeah. for, for people to stop and think, what is it that Jesus is looking for in a healthy church? Notice he says it in numerous letters. He's going to say it in the one we look at this weekend, but he says it in the one that we just looked at in the church in Sardis, Revelation 3, 1 through 6. I know your deeds. Mm. I see you. In the previous letter, 
talked about Jesus having eyes of burning fire. He has piercing insight, mm-hmm. and his judgment and his insight is always flawless. He's never misguided. He's never under the wrong impression. He sees, mm-hmm. and he and he knows. Our problem is that we focus on the wrong thing. We evaluate the wrong thing. Um, we get distracted by the by the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're measuring something other than what Jesus is is measuring. And it always begins with this. Do we love him and do we love other people? Everything comes down to that. Um, this church, they're spiritually dead. They don't really love Jesus. And it's not like they're different from the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church were spiritually alive, but their love had grown cold. This church was spiritually dead. Mm. It's a totally different status. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's possible that they could have still been loving even though they were doing it from an unhealthy spiritual place well everybody loves um but you but you can't um to love in the way that god loves you have to first be loved by him in that way Mm -hmm. you can't share what you don't have Mm -hmm. but everybody loves in in some way right um but to be able to love in the way that Jesus loves, we have to first receive that. That's a that's a totally different category of love. But yeah, everybody. So why do you think it is a, that the Ephesian church is the one church that is threatened with being uh, removed as a church and not this one? Because that's how that's how utterly damaging it is to be unloving. I mean, it is just utterly utterly damaging and so like we could talk about which is the worst disease right all diseases are bad but some diseases are worse Mm -hmm. the disease of lovelessness is the worst it is so utterly intolerable that jesus threatens to disband a church if they don't repent Mm -hmm. and that's i mean that's a showstopper i mean for me that hits like a thunderclap you talked about being woken up last night (laughs) by the by the thunderstorm that should i don't want to use the word haunt but Maybe I do want to use the word haunt, Mm. but that should haunt us. Wait a second. Being loveless is so problematic. It is so damaging. It is such a pernicious evil that Jesus would rather a church not exist than to exist with great theology and great behavior, but be unloving. That's the opening salvo. Yeah. That is the opening letter. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, what do I do with that other than like just respond in humility and a continual posture of repentance. Yeah. It causes me to to think about one of one of the things that Martin Luther wrote which is essentially all of life is repentance. Our disposition should always be turning to Jesus if there's anything in me please show me mm-hmm. because I want to be aligned with you. I mm-hmm. want I want to love the way that you have loved me and if I st- if I start to step away by your grace please pull me back. Mm-hmm. Because I I I there is nothing better than knowing you and being with you and helping other people know you. I mean, that is is the heartbeat. That's supposed to be the heartbeat of the church. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It is the heartbeat of believers. Mm -hmm. And these churches have lost that. So you and I as pastors might be looking at this from the perspective of the the gravity of the implications of this, of the church as a whole, Mm -hmm. but individual believers may also be feeling it on an individual salvation level. Tell me more. And you talked a little bit in the message, you brought out the point Mm -hmm. where Jesus says that he will never blot someone's name out of the book of life. Yeah. He's uh, talking to believers. that are not dead. That's right. 
mm-hmm. those who are alive, I will never blot your name out. And I take his, I, I take him seriously on that. I do not believe you can lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. Is that where you're going with yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. You want me to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, because I think, you know, when we do talk about the, the, the grave possibility that a church mm-hmm. could be disbanded for being loveless, I think it's natural on an individual level to be concerned about that. Like, if I feel like I'm being loveless, does that have implications for how Jesus feels about me? And, uh, and, and so I'm glad that that came up as a juxtaposition in this message right out of the text mm-hmm. about uh, that, that theologically losing our salvation is not something that we need to be afraid of. No, I don't think we need to be afraid of that. I'm, I'm utterly convinced of that. Let me, let me be very quick, just real quick, okay. why I'm convinced of that. One, in this letter, Jesus said, I will never blot your name out. Two, Ephesians chapter one, especially verses 13 and 14, um, that when we hear the message, we believe we are in Christ and we are sealed with the spirit. You got to remember, this is written in first century Roman culture. You know, whoever put their government official, put their seal on something. If you didn't have that level of authority, you could not break the seal. Mm-hmm. You weren't allowed to break the seal. God is the, there is no level, there is no authority equal to or above God. I don't have that authority to break the seal. Not even my own sin can break the seal of the Holy Spirit. He has a, it's the, the language in first, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter one there is that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so he's the one who guarantees it. It's not my moral performance. It is him. And that is grace Two. The imagery of adoption is used to describe how we are brought into the family of God. Remember, Roman uh, Roman culture, first century, um, adoption was unbreakable. Um, I have I have three kids, uh, 30, 20, and 17. Two are biological. One is by adoption. If we lived in Rome, I could disinherit my two biological kids, could not, it is impossible to break the adoption of the adopted kid. There's nothing I could do. When I die, they, she, would get, she would get the inheritance. Nothing could ever break that. And that's the kind of imagery that's used to talk about we are adopted into the family of God. So I'm convinced that we are held by the power of Jesus. We are sealed by the spirit. Nothing is gonna break that. He will never break his promises. He's gonna keep his promises. So Christian, if you are sinning, If you are being unloving, if you have walked away from Jesus, remember, he's going to keep his promise. And as we continue in these letters, we're going to see he promises that he disciplines those who he loves. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so he will crank up the heat of discipline in your life because he loves you because he wants to woo you to repentance. And maybe it's not always going to look like adversity and pain. I mean, Paul wrote in Romans, do you not know? It's his loving kindness that draws you to repentance. God might drop some love bombs on you <laughs> just to melt your heart. I don't know, but he is going to do what is in your best interest and what you are, what you need to draw you back to himself because he loves you in the same way that a loving, good father would. Mm, so beautiful. rest in that. I know some people sometimes will hear a message like that and say, okay, I do believe that God will keep his promises Mm -hmm. and that he will never forsake us. But what about if we forsake him? Mm -hmm. And, uh, And a response that I've often had to that is, when we know that God knows the beginning and the end, it's not like when Jesus offered us forgiveness for all of our sins, that he didn't already know the full extent of our whole life and that we could somehow surprise him later yeah. on down the road. Uh, he he already knows the whole story. So, so when he forgave all of our sins, he forgave all of them. It's all forgiven. Now, listen, let's be honest. There are good-hearted, really smart, 
uh, Christians who see it differently. Uh, there are people who are smarter than me who who see it who see it differently. So I mean, I get that, you, you know. Uh, but I, I'm just telling you what's convinced me, what's persuaded me. I think about I think about Peter after he denied Jesus um, three times. He mm-hmm. denied him after the resurrection. Jesus makes him breakfast, mm-hmm. and just you know, don't race past that detail. Jesus made him breakfast. He's cooking breakfast for him. It's really sweet. It is sweet. You know, um, you know, there's something in us that we just connect food with comfort. And when when someone in your family passes away, or you're sick, or there's something, there's like this meal train that happens. People want to people want to bring food. Jesus said, "Make you breakfast," mm-hmm. and then. Ask Peter three times, do you, do you, do you love me? And, and Peter could, Jesus is using the God kind of love, agape, um, which none of us can love on our own. We need to be loved in that way by God in order for us to be able to love others that way. And Peter responded three times, yes, Lord, I fillet you, but brotherly love, kind of the root word where we get our Philadelphia. That's why it's called the city of brotherly love. And, and Jesus said, feed my sheep. You're still, I, I'm counting on you. I'm going to use you. In, in ministry. So Jesus was, I mean, Peter is as wobbly as it gets. He's, he's got to be humiliated. He's got to just want to hide in a hole. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to let go of you. And not only am I not going to let go of you, I'm going to use you. I think about Psalm 51. Read Psalm 51. This is, this is David's prayer of lament after his grievous sin with and against Bathsheba and against God. His son is now dead. His little baby has died. And, and one of the things that he talks about is, is part of forgiveness. And I will teach sinners your ways. Hmm. There's this kind of this understanding that your grace and your providence and your goodness and your ability to heal and resurrect and make new is always bigger, is always bigger than any amount of sin or falling away. I also think about the prophet Elijah. He had this incredible, like literal mountaintop experience on this mountain called Carmel. And, you know, and God uses him in a powerful way. It's miraculous. He overcomes the, the prophets of, of, of Bell and um, just all kinds of, all kinds of neat, amazing things happen. And at that incredibly high moment, I think he's emotionally exhausted Queen Jezebel decides, I'm killing this dude. And he just breaks. And he runs off and hides in the wilderness. And Elijah, he's just, he wakes up to discover there's an angel there. I like to say, <laughs> angel made the angel prepared food. Mm-hmm. And so I just like, in a fun way, I like to say, the angel made him a sandwich. And my wife's like, no, no, he didn't. <laughs> you make your own sandwich. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> I'm not touching this, that this, one. <laughs> this angel, this, this, this angel cooked him food. Elijah fell back to sleep, wakes up, has some food, <laughs> falls back to sleep. And then he goes and he's still overwhelmed. And he goes and hides in a cave. And it basically go, go read this for yourself. Kid's like, all right, I'm going to let you be done. Gives him a couple of things to wrap up his ministry. It just lets him be done. It got us so incredibly gentle yeah. with him. When I want to be like, fool, are you kidding me? Look at what I just proved myself to you, and you're done. You're gonna whine and cry in a hole. <laughs> and God is just gentle and kind. Just, just remember that about who He is, and the discipline that He brings to believers who are in sin are, is always an expression of that. Even if it doesn't feel pleasant, it is an expression of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can, 
we can take confidence in that. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in him. So why wouldn't we repent? I mean, think about this fact. This church is spiritually dead. Jesus could have just, he could have just ignored them. But he comes to them and says, guys, repent. He is relationally leaning in. And I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know. I don't know what you're experiencing, but you need to know that Jesus is relationally leaning in. Mm. Don't lose sight of that. That's beautiful. Thank you for, for that. You know, I'm thinking as you're talking that, that each of these passages, and this one is no exception to it, has such deep, rich theology. Mm-hmm. And some of it goes by so quickly that it could be easy to miss it. And, uh, and you're a skilled enough communicator that you speak so clearly that it can seem like things are, are very basic. But there's some deep theology that's mm-hmm. been already covered mm-hmm. um, in, this, in this message in the way that we approach sin, the way mm-hmm. that we approach forgiveness, the way that we know that we're alive in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we've looked at the theology of salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this passage also brings us to a theology of the church. Yeah. And you you landed the message in that area of looking at what is the purpose of the church mm-hmm. and who is the church for? It's for and, Jesus. Uh, and so, yeah. yeah, yeah, I love the way you set up that binary question, is the church for Christians or is the church for non-Christians? And, yeah. and your point that it, that's the wrong, those are the wrong answers to be focused on the church is for Jesus. It's for Jesus. It should be good for everybody should be good for everybody, but we exist for Jesus. And the things that, all the things that we do are ultimately for his glory. We're primarily focused on him and it should be beneficial for everybody else. So like when we sing music, we're, this is for Jesus, for his glory. And we are intentionally inviting and trying to lead um, those who know Jesus to worship him. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we are intentionally inviting and trying to woo people who don't yet follow Jesus towards him. And we're, we're doing that when I'm preaching. I, I want to glorify, I want to glorify Jesus. I just, I want to make a big deal out of Jesus. And for everybody who knows and follows Jesus, I want you to take a next step with him. For those of you who do not follow Jesus, I want you to take a step towards him. That's what, that's the whole point. It's, it should be good for everyone. It starts with a focus on Jesus, but it should be good for everyone involved. Everything that we do should ultimately be good for everyone if it starts with primarily focusing on and being about enjoying and celebrating and glorifying Jesus. So what do you say to the person who maybe hasn't thought in those terms before Mm -hmm. and in their mind, whether it was a conscious thought or not, they viewed the church as a place of retreat from the outside world. Um, They've maybe considered Sunday morning as a a place to relax and feel safe in a room that's traditionally known as the sanctuary Mm -hmm. and to come to church to be with other Jesus followers and, and to feel like church is a place where we're just gathered with other people who think like we think. Um, This, this may have pushed some people to, to reconsider that mm-hmm. thought a little bit. What would you say to someone who's still trying to, to wrestle down maybe a, a, a thought they've always had about the purpose of a church rather and now looking at it from a little bit different angle? I would say big errors and tragedy many times can start with isolating and amplifying a good thing at the exclusion of other things. Okay, keep talking. 
I feel like I've covered it. <laughs> so, no, I'm going to need to hear you say some more about so, that. <laughs> having a time where you are intentionally not where where you are not distracted by other things you're not thinking about work you're not thinking about your football team you're not thinking about all kinds of other things and you're coming to focus yourself on on jesus christ and to hear his word to be comforted by being with other believers all of those things all of those things are good Mm -hmm. that's not only what we're doing there is never a time that we stop being on mission there is never a time that that ends. We are for him. So whatever he is about, that's what we are to be about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I mean, it's a, I know some people are wondering, are we ever going to pick different verses? Um, are we ever going to pick different verses to end our service with? Or is it always going to be Second Corinthians 5, 14 and 15? I don't think it'll ever be anything different. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is it. Because the gravitational pull to be for ourselves is so strong. Mm-hmm. And if if there is ever a time that we're like, you know what, we're going to choose a different set of verses to focus on, it will only be after people stop complaining about not getting their preferences. Mm. All right. All right. Um, we haven't reached that point yet. Well, it's going to be a hard fight against human nature since mm-hmm. we're all kind of wired to want our own preferences. But. I want to encourage people, read Second Corinthians 5. Just go read it. We're compelled by the love of Christ. We, are, we live not for ourselves, but for Jesus. We are, made, we are brand new creatures where all things are made new when you are, when you are in Christ. And we are his ambassadors, and he is making his appeal through us. Mm-hmm. Be reconciled to God. Because in Christ, your sins are not being held against you. Mm-hmm. That never stops. Coming to church, to a church service, to a church's location, to being gathered together with other believers is not a pause on that. It is the it is it is like the the star on top of the tree. It is the the bright shining crescendo of our week getting to do that, not where we all get together to celebrate Jesus and stop doing this thing that He's called us to do. Mm-hmm. That's just the weirdest thing ever. Uh-huh. I gather together at church to stop doing what Jesus is about. Can we just say that's dumb? <laughs> It's well, dumb. when you put it that way, that does seem like the silliest thing. It's the silliest thing ever. We would think and, we wouldn't be about Jesus and the one time that we're all focused together at the same time with each other on him. Yeah, that's not Christianity. That's narcissism. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's end on a high note. The, the dying church, you said, might be a church that is basically stuck in its past, that it's looking backwards, that it's focused on how things uh, were done in the past. Yes, but that the healthy church is always about their mission, is always looking forward to, mm-hmm. you know, what is Jesus calling us to do now? How can we be on mission for Jesus now so while th- still honoring the past? That's right. Three markers of a healthy church. We honor the past. We don't live in it. And so, like, our church is <laughs> older than our state. Yeah. We've got a lot to An honor in our past. past. We should do that. Absolutely. It would be... It, it, it would also be tragic not to honor things in our past. Um, I don't know if this would be meaningful to anybody else, but last week, I, I think it was last Tuesday, um, that the uh, at a ministry at our church for, for senior adults, um, one of the former pastors uh, was speaking, uh, a, na- a man named Paul Seward, who started pastoring here in 1977. And then uh, he was... Uh, 
uh, followed by John Steer, and then I followed John Steer. All three of us were together. Mm. Now, the three of us were, ha- were hanging out together, and it was awesome. 46 years of, of pastors hanging out together, and I just loved listening to these guys and talking to these guys, and, and I loved getting to honor Paul Seward. Awesome thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I could just tell it was a joy for people because there are people in the room who were there when he was called his pastor. I mean, this is just awesome thing. Nice. It would just be the dumbest thing ever not to honor uh-huh. our past but it would be deadly to live in it. So we want to honor the past. We don't want to live in it. We want to remember this. The mission never changes. It never, ever changes. So what the mission was in 1927 here <laughs> is the same mission as it is in 2023. The methods change. Mm-hmm. What it looks like changes. Mm-hmm. How we accomplish it changes. But we're never going to violate. We're, we're never going to violate wisdom and we're never going to sin. We're, however we go about the, the methodologies we go out go about to accomplish our mission it's always going to honor christ and then we just remember we live for jesus not for ourselves hmm. remember those three things we're golden Say doesn't it mean again. We're, the three things to remember we honor the past we don't live in it the mission never changes methods always change we live for jesus not ourselves hmm. it that's not going to make us a having those mind the mindset with those three things we're not going to be a perfect church we're going to make a mistake, and as long as as long as long I'm a pastor, whatever church I'm a part of, as long as I'm here, we will be making mistakes because I'm not perfect, <laughs> but we will be alive, mm. and we will be vibrant, and we will be with Jesus, doing the things that Jesus has called us to do, the kinds of things that he is most excited about, mm. and that excites me. Yeah, may that ever be so. Yeah. You know what I appreciate about those things is that even though it may feel like the pace of change is incredibly rapid and and mm-hmm. seemingly even faster mm-hmm. every year than than it has been previously those things as anchor points mm-hmm. i think lets us navigate change in a way that doesn't let us feel like we're just being tossed around mm-hmm. uh, but but that we are solidly grounded mm-hmm. in what's important to jesus absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely all right well, this has been fun. I've enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I feel more awake now. Than Good. <laughs> Good. Welcome we to the land of the living, <laughs> yes, fan. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Look forward to talking more this next week. 